Welcome to the Whose Body Is It podcast. I'm your host, Isabella Melvin. In this third installment of The Harms of Pornography, writer and feminist Genevieve Gluck continues her analysis and addresses topics like racism in porn, the Coolidge effect, deep fake porn, and why transgender porn seems to escape criticism. The fetishizing of oppression has proliferated to a terrifying degree that now unsuspecting women are being victimized through voyeur porn, which often entails men invading and filming women's faces and profiting from non-consensual use of their images in the video. Genevieve enlightens us about how the technology industry is driving this exploitation of women's bodies. And I detail my latest run-in at a gender neutral slash whatever bathroom. Genevieve and I also talk about the Sports Illustrated uh, cover, which depicts the uh, quote, history making trans woman on its cover. Yeah, so, you know, we've talked about um, transgender porn in the past. When I look into it, I kind of go in chunks because it's kind of exhausting. And I always think I'm going to hit the bottom, you know, like, a place where it can't go anymore, a kind of like end to it or something, but I never do. It just seems to keep going and going. And um, uh, like I was saying, it's even hard for me to kind of talk about a little bit, which is the, the racism and the transgender porn, because first of all, there are these hashtags um, on Twitter where there's like all this porn Um, I don't think most people know just how much porn is on Twitter. It's, um, if you know the right hashtags to look for, you can just immediately, and there's no filter either. It will just come up, you know, like, uh, in your face, you know? So one of this, these accounts I was looking at, uh, a sissy account again this is the sissy associated with the forced feminization pornography which is associated with transgenderism and transgender pornography so there was this account that was posting images of children okay in a sexualized context it was like boys and the kind of caption on it was about how uh hormones should be available to boys in high school and middle school And so when I see things like this, you know, I'm always kind of self-conscious of the fact that maybe, you know, like this looks like it's illegal to me. Will I get in trouble because I've now seen this, you know? So the first thing I'll try to do is get evidence of it and then report it, you know, I'll report it to Twitter, but they they do nothing. So, I, I mean, this, this account had personally had like other iterations that had been suspended, but kept coming back up. So I reported it to Twitter, nothing happened. Um, You know, I sometimes file reports with uh, child sexual exploitation services, things like that. Nothing ever seems to really happen from that either. But anyway, um, this account was kind of what led me down to see some of the uh, racist content, which really centers around BDSM. So, like I was explaining uh, previously, a lot of this is centered around the fetishization of oppression, specifically things like humiliation, which are found in BDSM. Um, so the masochistic element, you know, of wanting to be made inferior or made less or something like this. So when you apply that in the context of the racism in it, what ends up happening is, you know, you the hyper-masculinized racist idea of a black man. And then combined with the sexist, misogynist idea of girlhood or womanhood, all right? So uh, a man, a sissified man, um, put into this context of as though a woman or a girl with 
a black man and you know things sort of like to that extent of you know they're more masculine uh so we need to serve them and they'll they'll use that kind of language too like slave and master and things like that it's really really dark and it's really ugly and i do not recommend anyone to look at it um now that i know the hashtags i don't even feel comfortable like repeating some of them just in case but um it's there it's it's out there it's all over twitter i mean it's probably all over Reddit too. I haven't really looked at that yet because like I said, I need to distance myself from it, you know, from time to time. It's uh, it's pretty ugly stuff, but um, I see people kind of criticizing pornography in general now more and more, which is a good thing. Uh, people criticize racism in mainstream pornography or criticize violence in mainstream pornography. And yet all of these things exist in transgender pornography as well. I mean, I hate, I was going to say maybe worse, but I don't know. Maybe it's the same, I guess. Maybe it's on the same level, but it's still, it's there too. And yet it seems to kind of get washed over or not discussed or some kind of pass. I'm not sure. Maybe people don't know. Maybe they're not aware. But uh, recently, I don't know if you saw this, Isabella, there, there were some accounts on Twitter where men were dressing up in niqab not the full hijab but like the niqab i think it's called um and this these were like sissy uh men who were fetishizing the idea of being a muslim woman oh my um, god yeah it was really awful i've seen several of them now again if you see one on twitter you can just easily go to their followers you can just see uh loads of kind of similar things if that's, you know, I mean, well, I do that because I'm trying to keep track of this stuff. I, I don't think he would want to do it necessarily, but because I'm actively looking at these kinds of things. And there was another one on a Reddit forum that had posted this and with an image of himself, a selfie, and then this description that was just the most awful things, you know, like, I want to be made into a housewife, I want to be made to serve my master, I want to be forced to be a helpless Muslim woman. I mean, just really, fed it. again, it, it's all centered around the humiliation inherent that they believe is inherent to being a woman. Wow. There's a reason why the anti-Pornhub campaign is doing so well. And that's because over 2 million people signed the petition now. So there is a growing movement, even though maybe it's not centered around certain organizations. Uh, I mean, there are organizations, but I mean, there is a sort of undercurrent of people who are very, very upset with what's going on with pornography. So. I don't think it's really kind of reached its uh, full stride yet. Uh, I think maybe, hopefully, you know, it will soon with all of the scandal around Pornhub. But mm. I do think it is there and I think it is yeah. growing and people are kind of starting to talk more about it. I don't see that really quite happening with the transgender stuff yet. Uh, again, it always just seems to be this topic that escapes any kind of criticism. It's like Teflon. But um <laughs> I don't know <laughs> like why why is it okay for this to be going on for like transgender stuff but you know not okay if it's in the other or mainstream context or whatever you know I um thinking you know on the topic of like trending and just the the pervasiveness of the material out there i was contacted by a trans identified man in his early 20s who told me that he's a prostitute and that when he started prostituting himself when he was i think 13 like dressing up like a girl. So at that point, I imagine it was just more just like cross-dressing or what we used to consider a transsexual without any kind of surgery. Uh, he said he would make, you know, like nothing. Now to sleep with an hour um, 
with a married man, he makes $500. So he said he went from making 40 bucks to $500 just in the past few years, past six years. This guy's like 20 now. Hmm. Um, so why? Why would that demand be higher? Because it's in porn. Obviously, mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like a huge mystery. I think um, a couple of things are happening. And there's this thing called the Coolidge effect, which maybe most people would understand what it is without knowing the term. But it's basically that the more you watch pornography, the more desensitized you become to it. So you need ever increasing taboos to elicit sort of the same thrill, kind of like chasing the dragon or something like this, right? So, I mean, what could be more novel, more taboo than, you know, mixing the sex, right? So like the female looking breasts and face or what have you, and then the male genitalia. I mean, it's not realistic. Um, It doesn't occur naturally in nature. I mean, most of the men who watch transgender porn self-report themselves to be heterosexual. I mean, you know, we can ask questions about that, certainly. But anyway, that's mm-hmm. that's the case that they believe themselves to be heterosexual. So I think that the desensitization and then escalation. Mm-hmm. And so there's this huge demand for it now. And also another thing to consider is that the male sex drive is there. So men who might, you know, pretend to be women or get certain surgeries to resemble women would be far more likely or possibly willing to do things that women wouldn't perhaps want to do. Um, I've actually seen uh, porn accounts talk about this as well. Um, It's that it's like having a woman, but with the sex drive of a man. So Mm. Um, wow and recently I've seen some videos on Pornhub of men going into women's spaces and filming themselves for voyeur porn Uh, a one I saw recently with the name of Jenna uh, he went into a high school at night and was filming himself in the girls restroom of the high school with various uh, devices that he was masturbating himself with. And this is illegal in the first place. It's um, trespassing, it's um, uh, public exposure. I mean, it's a crime. Um, But there are other videos like this as well. I saw one of a man in a changing room at Forever 21. There's a lot of them. Mm -hmm. And so they're they're being, they're getting this motivation to go out in public now and to go into women's spaces. And then breaking that boundary is part of what's the thrill for not only for themselves, but for the viewers. Right. Right. Sorry. It was kind of heavy stuff. No, I'm just like, it's just seeping in. I am actually was thinking about the number of um, trans identified men who I've seen around where I live um, as like servers, just like baristas, waiters, stuff like that. Um, And I'm surprised that I haven't seen them in the bathroom yet. And that in like the real world, it's, it's fucking scary. Like, you know, I think it's already so much for a woman to follow my account or any like, you know, radical feminist account. It's already like brave (laughs) to like or share or comment. And then like that. So you get past that step of being like, okay, like I'm going to be visible, like in the digital realm, but like, yeah, in person, it's just, it's a whole nother thing. I was, oh, I don't think I told you this story. I was um, at a comedy club uh, a few months ago and 
just dying to pee at the end. You know, it was just like a three hour show and I'm like running to the bathroom. And I immediately see on the door, it says, you know, gender neutral or slash whatever. You know, they try to be like funny about it. Like we're so cool that we don't care about your genitalia. So I open the door and there are men standing at urinals. And so I like close the door, just like intuitive, like just instinctively. I'm just like, oh my God, no. And I just, ugh. and I like run away and I go to the other bathroom and there are men there, but they're not standing at urinals. And I'm in this like panic mode. Like what the fuck? Like I'm, my bladder is about to burst. So I run into a stall to pee and the lock on the stall door is broken. So, you know, this happened, this like always, you know, this is a thing that like a lot of women have experienced in public bathrooms um, or, you know, bathrooms of, you know, private, you know, businesses. And you just kind of put your foot on the door. You like hang your bag. So it like creates weight. So the door stays closed. You know, like we all have our tricks of like what to do. But I was like, but there are like men. There's like a man next to me uh, to my right and to my left and washing his hands and blah, blah, blah. So I just stuck my foot out to keep it closed and peed and got out of there as quickly as possible. And I like emerged from the bathroom and I just was like, I just kind of screamed. I was like, who works here? Who works here? And I actually like, I like looked at a guy who had been on stage who had been like more of an MC and I didn't realize he was also a comedian. And I was like, do you work here? And he was like extremely offended. He was like, he was like, I'm a comedian. <laughs> and so then someone came up to me um, and he looked really, really nervous because I was fuming. And he just said, you know, you're not. I just went off. I was like, this is completely unacceptable. Blah, blah, blah. And he was like, you're not the first woman to say something. And gave me some like, you know, I'll talk to them, blah, 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 whatever. And then my friend pulled me away because I think she thought we were going to get kicked out of the venue. Also, that one of the comedians during that set is an autogynophile. And the butt of his jokes were all about having access to the women's bathroom. He made it. So one of his jokes was... Um, Basically, he was saying how he doesn't get kicked out of bathrooms for being a man. He gets kicked out of bathrooms for doing coke. Ha ha ha. Yep. Um, so it was quite a night. But yeah, that was that's the actually the I think the first experience I've had this year of that just real time like this is it. It's happening. You know, it's not just stories. It's not just like birth world stuff. This is this isn't ideology anymore. Like this is real time shit that's happening um, and causing like the nervous systems of women all over the world to go into overdrive. Like the sensation of like having just a really, really full bladder and like literally like not having a choice other than like running outside and squatting, you know? And it's like, if you take the man's example, like if a man feels uncomfortable in a bathroom for whatever reason, like he could literally just go outside and like whip out his penis and, and pee. And like, no one thinks twice. Thank you. Yes. I have been saying this for years, actually. It's not so that they, they would always say like, um, they just want to pee, but you know, it's women who just want to pee. Like, I don't know a single woman or maybe even men that I know who haven't seen a man piss in public. We all know, I mean, even since I was a child, like I remember like boys writing their name in the snow and things like this, you know, it's not like, like the reason we have these spaces is because women just want to pee in peace. Men, they, they go in public. We know this. I mean, and then to, you know, and have to have this kind of ideology spreading across to other countries where women don't even have toilets yet, you know, like the nightmare that's going to ensue once it fully takes hold in places like India, it's just going to be awful. And it's a completely first world kind of um, academic um, 
unrealistic kind of way of seeing the world. And the repercussions are very, very real. Yeah. Uh, we're, uh, the, the we spa thing, you know, it's, it's like people mm. are not going to be able to pretend like this isn't happening anymore. I was really glad for that. Of course they are trying to pretend like it was made up uh, as they will do, but as more and more of these things start to come to light and there will be uh, very soon, I think, hopefully that will push the conversation um, to a point where we can't ignore the reality of what's going on anymore. I'm really sorry that happened to you, but I'm glad that you said something. I wonder if they'll actually do anything about it. I doubt it. I doubt it. All of their headliners are like Hollywood PC, like all the joke, the jokes were like, the jokes were very predictable in terms of the, like what paradigm they're in, which includes believing that trans women are women. I, yeah, I mean, it was surprising and unsurprising. It's like, wow, like I can't even like enjoy entertainment. I mean, like as if comedy isn't already ripe with misogyny, like right. this is just the cherry on top. You know, it's already hard for me to like enjoy comedy because yeah, of the rampant misogyny, but uh, from from both male and female comedians. Um, but there was one thing, ah, one thing I want to I want to note that that people have maybe already have experienced is that when they create these gender neutral whatever bathrooms, they're just taking what was formerly the men's bathroom and formerly the women's bathroom and slapping a sign outdoor. They're not putting urinals in both areas. So what happens is that the men retain their space, right? Cause like, and I think my experience is really emblematic of that because intuitively, like I just thought I had done something wrong. It's like, I don't go to the place where urinals are because I don't have a penis. Mm -hmm. so if I had that response other women had that response have that response as you know evidenced by the reaction of the the guy that I spoke to who worked at the venue um so the men end up getting their space and the women are forced to share with men mm -hmm. that's been the case too in some places there there were like some photos uh like a thread of it on twitter about um photographs of where it was like men and then gender neutral. <laughs> so it's like, right. there's the men's toilet and then there's everybody's toilet. Right. And there were, you know, I will say that the men I came across in the, what was formerly the women's bathroom looked really uncomfortable. Like their heads were down. Like they weren't making eye, like, when I say they, I mean like the two that I came across when I was in there, they were looking down. I don't think non-gonophilic men want this unless they are predators, you know, like the average Joe, I don't think wants it, you no. know, that doesn't mean he's going to do something to stop it, but they looked visibly uncomfortable. Like they were like trying to get out of my way. Again, that's just two. But of course, again, it's always like the fact that women are being used as shields for male violence when we're actually far more susceptible and vulnerable to it. Right, right. You know, I, I did this um, six-week program with Ruth Barrett where we talk about for, for those who don't know Ruth Barrett, she's an amazing feminist. She um, produced the anthology Female Erasure. Um, she, we, we got into the power of mirrors, the power of seeing our reflection, the power of, you know, speaking to our reflection um, and how that's been totally... Um, been made into something that is considered vain, um, 
right? Even you think of the, the term vanity, right? That there isn't value and actually it takes away from your value or um, is an expression of some kind of selfishness to look at yourself in the mirror. And so like, I think about the communal experience of being in a bathroom with other women, looking at yourself in the mirror, looking at your friends in the mirror and like the sanctity of that experience. And, and she goes into like, you know, what that means in terms of like a goddess worship, like seeing your reflection in the goddess. Um, and yeah, I, I just, it's just like Donna dawning on me now that there's like a, I would call it like a spiritual attack, not just like on a, in a, on a physical level of actually women's safety, like physical safety being in jeopardy, but the destruction of that like really sacred communal experience of just looking at each other in the mirror mm -hmm. and seeing a man there mm -hmm. trying to impersonate the goddess. You, you are the goddess. We are the goddesses. We're all like, you mm -hmm. know, <laughs> the goddess within. It's just, it's just so, um, what a violation, mm. like what disrespect, like if women aren't in a place of recognition of how powerful that experience like can be and is, and like, this is the problem that like, you know, talked about in, in, in other episodes, like if a woman has not experienced, I interviewed Emily Saldea about this, you know, uh, you know, and she said that if a woman hasn't experienced the sanctity of a women only space, like how could you possibly convey the value of that to her? If she has never experienced that in her lifetime, if she's never been on like a women's retreat or, you know, been only with women for four days, not a single man in sight. Like if one has not experienced the power of women only spaces, then how can you convince them to preserve them? And so without knowing the, the sacredness of that experience, something as seemingly, um, trivial is just washing your hands next to another woman. You know, there's a reason why women want to go to the bathroom together. It's a woman only space. It's a space where you can speak openly and vulnerably and also protect one another. Right. Should there be an intruder? Like there's a buddy system that happens with, with, you know, going to the bathroom that I think is really important. But yeah, that experience of whether it's like cleaning yourself together or adorning yourself together, whatever it is, it's oh, just, just another level of, yeah, just violation. That's just kind of dawning on me. Yeah. So I used to live in Korea and the sauna culture there, you know, the we spa was a Korean uh, spa, but the uh, it's called Jim Jobong and, you know, you're completely naked in the water area then there's also usually like a co-ed area where they give you clothing for and you go into like the actual like dry saunas there and so in the in the bath area you know it's just I remember the first time like seeing this and just kind of like wow you know I, I mean because it was like you could see realistic women's bodies not the things that you see on TV, not the things you see in magazines, not these airbrushed, like fake uh, representations of women, but actual women. And there's like no fear. Um, there's just such an absolute freedom that comes from being like fully vulnerable um, around other women that you can't really get in many other aspects. Of, mm -hmm. So, um, and then add to that, you know, women who don't even know each other, like scrubbing each other, helping each other like this, right? So like women would might maybe come up to me and like do a salt scrub on my back, you know, and like scrub each other's backs and things like this. And it's just a uh, kindness and you just feel very safe. Um, I did have an experience in one of these places where I went to the co-ed area and uh, I'm in the dry sauna and then a man in there 
um, began to masturbate himself while I was uh, in there. And it's like, you know, you go from this, this women only space where you just feel very comfortable, you go in, and then you're in the co-ed area. And granted, you know, you are wearing clothing, it's not, it's not nude, but yeah, just, just the, the contrast, you know, what did you when you have, well, when you have that kind of experience, you always kind of like, maybe you think like, oh, I would do this because I'm strong or something. I, I don't know. But like, I just kind of froze because I didn't know what to do. I was kind of thinking about what I should do and couldn't really decide. So I think after a few minutes, I just kind of got up and walked out because I didn't really just want to deal with it, you know, like I didn't want to confront him. And then I think yeah. like in, in retrospect, I might have done something different, but at the time, you know, if you, if you're not mentally like prepared for something like that, you just kind of like, and you know, in general, people don't want to have a, a conflict. People try to avoid conflict. I mean, that's why I think was so brave about um, the we spa video because most people would just probably kind of feel like oh I don't I don't want this to be a big deal like I just want this to go away um, I just want to be safe but she confronted them and started a national conversation about it and so people will try to pretend like it didn't happen but you know we have that video we have uh, other women starting to speak up and tell their stories as well so yeah. Yeah. It is really scary. I think I'm, I'm like, why, I'm like, why did I say something at the comedy club? And I think it's cause I had a drink. <laughs> I honestly <laughs> think that is because I, I had like, I drank alcohol yeah. and I had some liquid confidence and it was like a, it was an outer body experience. I mean, it was like, it wasn't uh, I didn't think twice. It was like it was like it was like I was vomiting. Like I couldn't control it. I just like literally busted out of the bathroom and was like, who works here? Um, <laughs> but I don't know what I would have done had I not had an alcoholic beverage. And I would not recommend everybody drink to stand up for themselves and for women. That is not what I'm suggesting. But yeah, I mean, there will be plenty of other times where I totally freeze up and don't know what to say, I'm sure, because the the frequency of this happening is just going to get, you know, more intense. Um, I yeah. find it really interesting that this is all happening at the same time that, you know, everybody has a camera in their hands. <laughs> you know, there's like millions and millions of people walking around with cameras in their hands and voyeur porn is just escalating you know we can look at korea as an example of that with the spy cam porn things you know like even we we will never know how many women have already been violated by this because they're not even aware of it themselves you know um recently a woman in china uh found her face put onto pornography in what's called deep fake porn oh um, i know about so somebody yeah. So somebody sent her this and was like, Hey, why, what's going on here? Why is your face on this porn? And so she is working to develop an app that would help women to like track their face across um, the internet, which is just horrifying that we have to Bye. think about these kinds of things anyway, that we would have to come up with solutions, you know, and also it's, 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 it's like, the problem is already happening, you know? So we're having to come up with solutions that are like defensive because we're not having anything that's like going on the offensive to prevent this from happening. And I just find it so coincidental that men are trying to get into women's private spaces at the same time that this is going on. And I have seen, um, there were rings that were busted in, Korea, where men were making thousands of dollars a month from streaming content within hotel rooms, um, bathrooms. So it's not simply just, you know, one's own personal sexual gratification. There is a lot of money that can be made from doing this. 
And so now we're saying that, you know, like women have to share their spaces with men. And if you say anything, you're a bigot. And well, there's this huge financial interest to stream pornography of women without their knowledge. The deep fake porn is so freaking scary. I, when I think mm-hmm. about the possibility of that happening, like, I just, I get into like a nihilistic kind of mindset for like survival. And I'm just like, nothing matters. Nothing matters. Nothing matters. Like I, I start to like dissociate when I think about stuff like that just to survive. Yeah. Cause it's, it's so beyond it's so beyond and like i i i'm not on twitter i mean i am on twitter but i don't use twitter um the little that people have engaged with me on twitter has been like like enough to scare me away to be honest and like my main platform is instagram that's like my home it's, it's very sad to say that that is my digital that is my preference for digital the digital sphere. Well, Instagram yeah. is very uh, media heavy, right? Whereas on Twitter, you can kind of hide your face, but on Instagram. Yeah. 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 There's like, ah, this is what I like about Instagram. You have more opportunity, uh, opportunity to humanize yourself. I feel like it's the most humanizing of social media platforms. I would say more so than TikTok, more so than Snapchat, more so than Facebook, more so than even YouTube, um, YouTube is more about like production, you know, and there's something really like diary and like entry vibes about, about Instagram and, um, and with such an emphasis on our like digital avatars, it's easy to forget that like, there's so much work to be done on like the physical plane And again, like, I think your forte, my forte is like consciousness raising, right? You're researching, you're archiving, you're speaking about these things, you're documenting everything. And then there's the direct action that, you know, organizations like Save Women's Sports and WHRC and Wolf are doing like on the ground. But the deep fake porn shit, it's like, it's horrible. It's horrible. That happens to anyone. It's totally disgusting. And it doesn't exist on the physical plane. Like it's, it's all made up shit that has real world consequences, of course. But yeah, I have to like, I have to go to a nihilistic point to fathom how like one would heal from that kind of experience, that kind of exploitation, which is distinct from actual rape. Mm. which is distinct from actual physical assault it's it's so unique in its terrorism because it forces your own dissociation at the same time that it's abusing you and you you feel or i imagine that if it were to happen, you would probably feel like, how can I be this upset when no one ever laid a hand on me? Do you Mm -hmm. know? It's like Mm -hmm. rape, but you haven't been touched. It's so creepy. It's so disturbing. Um, in, In Japan, there was a case where this had happened to two women and, uh, they were celebrities. So for now, mostly it's been uh, celebrities, people who are in the public light who are victims. But I mean, increasingly, it's starting to kind of spread its little tentacles out to other people as well. But so because they were in the public eye, their PR or their, their entertainment company said this is a violation of them because it it violates their ability to make money. It's their reputation. Then the porn company, right? So with, with deep fake, if people don't know, it's like the face of the person and then mashed up with actual pornography. So then the porn company said, this violates our copyright on the images of these women's bodies. 
So both of the companies claim to litigation was based on owning the image of a woman, whether it was her face to make money for the company or her body to make money for the porn company. And so in neither case was it recognized that this was a violation of the women and it had to be brought to court in this way of copyright, which I just find so distressing. Wow. Like that's not, that's not a road that we should be going down. If we go down that road further, it's just going to result in more of what's already happening, which is women becoming the intellectual property of men, like full ownership, like body, soul, mind. That's already going on and is going on now with transgenderism as well. Wow. But I don't know. I mean, maybe this this app, uh, the Chinese woman, maybe that would be a good start. Um, it's certainly one of the first actual uh actual what should I say like going on the offensive kind of action like that I've seen mm -hmm. um so hopefully there'll be more of that soon uh I just you know there is the AI capability for tracking this I mean there's a there's an organization uh what are they called now Sensity Sensity does research on this and, you know, in their research, they found that, you know, 98% of the victims were female, of course. Um, but there is AI to kind of track this and figure out, you know, how to prosecute these people. I'm, again, with so many of the issues that relate to women, I'm just wondering when that's going to start happening. When are we going to enforce um, punishment of this behavior? But the laws are not even caught up yet, you know, in some cases, they're still in different countries that the laws are moving at different rates, but it's not even technically a crime in some places of the world yet. So we really got to figure out how to make the laws uh, get up to speed with the technology. I'm kind of afraid that, you know, that in itself is a much bigger problem as well, not only deep fakes, but the fact that technology is accelerating at a rate that's really exceeding our ability to um, to track it or to fully con contain some of the dangers involved. Really shows where the priorities are. Right. Well, so much of technology has been created explicitly for uh, the exploitation of women. I mean, VHS. VHS was for porn, filming porn. Mm. Um, what else? I mean even streaming technology. So if you think of things like Netflix, where you stream programs, like that technology was born out of pornography. Um, Did you listen to, have you read Nancy, Nancy Joe's book on the mm -hmm. dating apps? So Megan had her on the same drugs and she talked about um, basically how fucked up dating apps are. And she went into what research shows is that men who use these apps are typically oscillating between porn and dating apps. Like they're going back and forth. So like what's better? And like this, the surge of like, you know, asking for nudes, like what's better than seeing like a naked woman, you don't know, seeing a naked woman who's giving you attention like seeing a photo or a video of a naked woman who you're like speaking to and how like these apps were designed by men made for men. Right. And so like their hookup apps, like that's what they were designed to, but the false marketing is that you're going to find love and a loving relationship and all this stuff. But I had never thought about men not just oscillating between watching porn and be on the app, but actually watching porn while they're on the apps, like while they're swiping, mm -hmm. right? Like the culture of just like consumption translates really well to like the swipe feature, like yes, no, like just like changing the channel, mm -hmm. you know, or like clicking next, next video, next video, next video. Anyway, yeah. it's a bit of a tangent, but I was wondering if you had, yeah, read her, read her book. Cause she talks a lot about uh, pornography. Uh, no, I haven't. Unfortunately, because of what I'm doing at the moment, I'm just kind of like one track, you yeah. know, like I'm not even 
watching that much TV, to be honest, which is nice. I would recommend taking a break from television, movies, all of that stuff. It's really kind of uh, refreshing to kind of just be in your in yourself. Um, but no, I haven't. I haven't even been reading that much. I've just been kind of like on this like go go go, uh, trying to write and sort of toying with the idea of like writing a book about all of this kind of stuff because I just like I said I I never seem to find a bottom to it like mm. <laughs> just keeps going and going like the whole um the scoptic syndrome thing that I talked about last time with you that I just kind of went down my own uh rabbit hole in my brain about you know the religious aspect of of all of this and by all of this I mean you know the claim to a gender identity it just has such really strong parallels with religion and I I'm kind of wondering if you know if there's a way to kind of frame it that I think pornography is becoming like a religion um it's a in in this increasingly fractured society and the world where people are sort of going off into their own tribes um what's the unifying cultural signifier and it's pornography or it seems to be you know in, in the past religions more or less were a way of uniting a culture you know and at some point almost anyone who could read had read the bible so you would have um and of course i mean in europe different across the world obviously but uh you would have a common culture you would have at least something that you knew that you could talk about with someone else right and i kind of feel like this media consumption you know everyone has these different choices of what to watch what news to look at and what's the unifying culture well objectifying women everyone does that right so i, I it has such a religious aspect to it that I really want to kind of explore more. Um, of course, I'm horrified by the idea of it, but what, what, what does that say if, if in society, the, the thing that most people have in common, most men have in common is that they've watched pornography, you know, I, I, it's, I don't really know where to go from there, but hopefully a bigger conversation will be had about this and the, and the actual impact of streaming pornography that's starting to be present in children. Um, things, for example, like in the UK where schoolgirls are being asked to send nudes by their classmates. We're talking 13 years old, 12, 13, 14 year old girls being solicited for naked photos by their male classmates and worse things than that, you know? So I do think a lot of parents are starting to get knowledgeable about what's going on. And hopefully there will be some kind of reckoning before it's too late. I'm so excited for your book. All right, well, <laughs> I guess I shouldn't have said anything. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? I, I, I would I mean, like to. <laughs> it's like the most practical solution mm. to what you're doing and it puts it in the physical form like your work doesn't exist in the physical form right now right 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 like and there's always that threat of having you know everything pulled down or whatever so if, at least if it was yeah. a book then I wouldn't uh have that hanging over but I mean I I like back up my stuff but like digitally like I haven't like printed out every Instagram post that I've made over the past five years. Like it doesn't exist in a photo album. It just exists as a folder on a hard drive. You know, it's like all these backup systems like BitChute, Odyssey. It's like, I don't know. We, I think we need to, yeah, consider that they can pluck us from the internet at any point in time. And yeah, the idea of having like a physical book feels really like gratifying and like secure. 
because once you distribute in the physical form, like it's out there, like, sure, they could bear, they could burn the warehouse down, but like once they're mailed out, they're mailed out and they, you know, it's like each have a life of their own. Yeah. I think. I kind of want to go back to what you were saying earlier about like the image though, because I, I had been thinking about this a lot too. Like I mentioned with the copywriting of, of women's, whatever you want to call it, image, bodies, mm -hmm. um, all of this. And it strikes me that with the male identified as female, uh, kind of to add what you were saying before, it, it, it puts a man between a woman and her own self. I don't know if I'm explaining this correctly, but it, the, the way that I think of it kind of, you know, metaphorically, it's that before a woman can speak of herself or think of herself, she must then consider the male. I mean, even the word cis, right? This is a kind of conditioning. This is a way of putting the male into your brain before you even talk about yourself, right? It's like, I'm considering his feelings before I speak about myself. It's very self-censoring and self-restricting. But within that, the other aspect being that you cannot even think of yourself as a woman, right? That's taken because he's taking womanhood. So now it's not really yourself anymore. Do you know what I mean? It's the the, the projected image, the, the male defined image of woman is now what you're meant to associate with woman, not like the natural woman, but the constructed plastic male version. Yeah, absolutely. That, that resonates. It's a kind of, I mean, it's a mind control. It's a mind control. It's a body control to like, you, you know, yeah. It just reminds me of, you know, women who are in relationships with men who like constantly put the needs of their male partner before their own. Like, what do I want? Oh, no, 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 no. What does he want? And then does it match what I want? Or like, how can I adjust myself to fit his needs? You know, like just that, like the, that interception, like the cis is that interception. It's characteristic of an abusive relationship. Well, and it forces women to dissociate themselves from their own bodies. And that's been used historically, that, that tactic has been used to exploit women's bodies, right? So right. It's, it's, it comes to this idea of that, you know, like splitting first and then exploiting, right? And dissociation is a trauma response. Um, Women who have been sex trafficked, for example, often would report, you know, dissociating women who have been sexually abused and so on. And so uh, this, the damage of the word cis of this, this male image between a woman and knowing herself is trauma inducing and in that it fractures, you know, the psyche, it fractures uh, an ability to know oneself or even to just recognize fundamental truth, to believe what's in front of you, to name reality. You know, there's so many elements to it, but it does induce dissociation, you know, like. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of plastic versions of men, I wanted to pull up the Sports Illustrated cover. Oh, I hadn't noticed. Room. I hadn't noticed before at the top where it says opening eyes, speaking truths, changing minds. Like when did Sports Illustrated become philosophical? Oh, my God. <laughs> Truth tellers. There's nothing truthful about this other than the. Just, just shamelessness of the pharmaceutical and cosmetic surgery industries. I mean, this image would be better suited to sell very, very high 
level medical technology. Mm-hmm. Like we have to give them credit. Like they did a really good job of making this man look like soft and voluptuous and like conventionally attractive. Like they did an excellent job. So like this image alone doesn't trouble me. What troubles me is that this is not explicitly an ad for the pharmaceutical industry. This is a feat of technology. This is high level cosmetic surgery capability. Right. Well, I mean, and also what it does is it it reduces women to pornography, right? So if like the definition of a woman is, or let's just say like womanhood is attainable by going through certain things, right? So you can attain womanhood by purchasing breast implants, right? Then you're essentially saying that womanhood is for sale, that womanhood itself is a product and nothing more than a pornified uh, fabrication of men's projected objectification. I mean, and that's what this says to me. This says that see womanhood is easy. Anyone can do it. I can buy breasts. And then now I'm a woman too, because that's all that you are is a pair of breasts or whatever. So, I mean, it's just, of course, it's very insulting. It's, um, I mean, it is insulting when women are objectified in this way anyway, but there's something more, I don't know. There's just something more about a man doing it too. That it just, I can't quite put a word to, but it just feels very insulting. Mocking. Yeah. I think you've said it in, in like uh, previous, um, in some of our previous episodes where man becomes a better version of woman. Like m- men now can become better women than women. Right. Because women are just this idea, this sexy right. idea. And so. Right. If the idea is like the, 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 the biggest boobs, the smoothest skin, the fullest lips, the most like beachy sex hair, then like, look, they can do it too. Mm-hmm. Except they can't like they need hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical assistance and technology to make it so you know what wouldn't be uh an attractive uh sports illustrated cover is like the post-op photos of this man Mm -hmm. just the gruesome brutal reality of what the process looks like to become this synthetic version of a human male Right. It's just, it's next level. We talked about this before, but you know, it always, I'm always kind of reminded or struck by the the reminder of the history of the cosmetic surgery industry anyway, that, you know, women were experimented on, still are experimented on and die um, so that men can have access to this kind of, technology so that they can become their own form of sexual fetishization, whatever. Um, I mean, even recently they found that uh, breast implants were causing a new form of breast cancer. There's been so many lawsuits about this right now that's going on. And it's just, it's again, it's almost like it's this background noise that, you know, Oh, it doesn't really matter that much. You know, thousands of women in debilitating pain and developing cancer. And at the same time, you have this tide of men asking for money for breast implants. So, yeah, when I look at that, I'm just, you know, struck by the, um, the gross insult to women's bodies, to women's health. Um, nothing else really seems to matter except what men perceive us to be or want us to be. This, this, this is intentionally, I think, trying to guide women back to their prescribed 
role. And I think, I mean, you know, we could question that, we call it into question whether it's intentional or just a result of the way that society is going and trends and money and all those things. But I, I really, from the things that I've seen, it really feels quite deliberate to me, especially the things that I've seen in the pornography. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to what you were talking about earlier with, um, you know, being in the Korean spas and just seeing women's bodies of all shapes and sizes and, and what like a, an integral part of growing up like that, that's really, really important for young women to see what real women's bodies look like. Yes, real women, actual adult human females. Um, and to think that like children are looking at this image it would be bad enough if, if it's like a like an actual woman on this. We've like it was already a problem that Sports Illustrated was like sexualizing actual women constantly with these like misogynistic beauty standards. But now just the disservice and the self-hate that it breeds. But that's precisely the point. The point is for women to hate themselves more and more to seek out products, fashion, makeup, surgery to try to achieve this completely synthetic look and identity. It's so crazy. It's like, we're making strides, like talking about body hair and how body hair is normal and natural. And then bam, mm -hmm. trans identified yeah. males everywhere. Right. It's just, like just, just as women are like talking about loving their own bodies, then this comes along. It's very coincidental. I mean, I think Gail Dines said, you know, if if women woke up today and decided to love their bodies, imagine how many industries would go out of business. And I think that's true. I think um, I have kind of wondered before and sort of did some of the math about industries that exploit women. And it seems to me that without the exploitation of women, global economies would crash and burn. I mean, the world's economic system depends on women hating themselves to an extent. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, this all kind of feels a bit like a, a desperate and angry attempt to reel women back in. But women won't wished. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> yes. Yes. I love it. I love it. For those who are listening to you for the first time, where can women support your work and read your writing and your research? So I'm on Twitter at Women Read Women, and I have a Substack, which is myname.substack.com, Genevieve Gluck.substack.com. I have a podcast, which I'm always like, <laughs> I'm always forgetting to mention because I don't know why, but yes, I have a podcast. I just feel weird saying the words I have a podcast. I feel kind of like a jerk, but anyway, it's um, interviews um, and sometimes news commentary things and it's called Women's Voices. So yeah, you can find that too. It's the least jerky podcast that's ever <laughs> existed. It's incredibly humble and important it, humble in its delivery fierce in its content actually i think that could be your tagline genevieve that's a great tagline <laughs> humble in delivery fierce in content yeah but if you say that you're humble people are kind of like well, well i can do it for <laughs> you i can write okay. the uh intro to your book she is okay. uh, humble in delivery and fierce in her content um, because it's true. It's true. <gasps> what now I'm thinking, what should we talk about next time? Oh my gosh, I'm sure there'll be plenty more ridiculousness happenings in from now till the next time. It's never ending. It is never ending. Thank you again, Genevieve. And I will link your podcast and all your other amazing offerings in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support my work, 
please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To stay in the loop for my latest coaching programs, hypnosis sessions, free resource guides, and more, follow me on Instagram at whosebodyisit and visit my website, whosebodyisit.com.